Thank you to Lauren and David who've been working on our set. You see the light that leads us toward the cross. You see the side on the left of our sermon series, The Divergent Jesus. And you said, the what? The Divergent Jesus. You know me, I like to do things a little differently. And so I do with the scriptures. I happen to like a movie called Divergent. If you've never seen the movie Divergent, turn it on sometimes. If you don't like science fiction, maybe find something to do while you're watching. <laughs> but if you do watch it, I hope that by the time we're through with this series of sermons, you might watch it a little differently. The movie Divergent is a powerful story. It is set in a futuristic age. It's talking about a post-apolitic Chicago. A time after a great war had destroyed, destroyed the societies around them. And where people had come back together, reorganized themselves in such a way that they could survive into the future. And in this future where they were living, the world was a place where people were divided into five factions. Each faction based on a predominant human virtue. Now I've watched this movie several times. You say, that's why we're getting it as a sermon. Yes, that's right. That is why you're getting it as a sermon today. But in this movie, and in these factions, listen to these five factions. One of them is called the Abnegation Society, or faction. There are people who are ruled by selflessness. They typically work in government places. There are persons who, in their selflessness, have a place in their heart for those who have no home. That becomes important in the story. A second faction is referred to as the erudites. Yes, they are the ones who love knowledge. They value learning and education, and they typically turn out to be teachers in their, the society in which they form. And then there's a society, a faction, if you will, called dauntless, those who are known for their bravery. They work in places of security, keeping all the different factions safe. They're fearless and have a duty to protect others. And then there's a group called Candor. Candor, as you might expect, is a faction that prizes honesty. In fact, such honesty as they just tell it like it is. I do love that faction. <laughs> they distribute the law. And then there's the last faction, a group called Amity which is known for being a peace-loving people. They tend to be farmers and counselors in the society in which they live. Now, all these factions are very important, and people are born into them in this world in the future. And it has a great influence just being born into one of these societies as you begin to have a world perspective of the society which you're being brought up in. And yet, when you turn 16 and approach adulthood, something happens in the movie. Everyone who turns 16 takes part in what it's called in this movie a choosing ceremony. And in this choosing ceremony, every 16-year-old standing before all the factions who gather uh, together in this big event get to come down and make a choice as to which faction they will spend the rest of their life in. Listen closely. Spend the rest of their life in. Most who come forward choose the life that they've been raised in. If their parents were part of the erudite groups, they choose that. Now, people also marry within the faction in which they live. 
And the most common experience of people as they come down is to pick the, the faction of their parents. But they do get to choose. But once you've chosen, then you have to be initiated into the faction that you've chosen, and it is your faction for life. But if you fail in initiation, then you are cast out of that organized society, and you are homeless, poor, wandering around in destroyed cities in the past, barely able to live a little better than the animals. That's the people of the abnegation have pity upon those people and tend to care for them to help them survive. Now this whole premise for this movie is a young 16-year-old woman comes forward from the group called Abnegation to make her choice. On the way to making that choice, they've been tested with some kind of process they use in the movie. I, I, I won't try to destroy the whole movie, just most of it. <laughs> uh, this is, don't even need fair warning, the movie's been around a long time. In fact, the sequel's already come out, the third one will be coming out uh, late this fall. But as uh, this person comes along and goes to be tested, she does something very rare. She solves the riddles too quickly. She passes the test too completely and finds out that none of the characteristics really suit her in their own. She is what's called in their society as a divergent, as one who has more than one of the five traits that's active in their life. And because of that, she's a danger to the structure of the society in which they live, and they're usually killed as soon as they're spotted. So if you are a divergent and controlled by more than one of those desires, you must make a choice in what you do and how you live because if you're found out, you will be cast into the factionless group or you will be killed. She comes to make her choice and to the surprise of the people gathered, she chooses Dolphinus, this young, slim, 16-year-old girl. Chooses Dolphinus. And the rest of the movie is all about that. And how that plays out in her life and what it means. Because you see, this choice of a, of a faction defines you more than anything else in the culture in which she lived. And yet, even when she got into this dauntless faction, she realized she was more than that because she was also had the, the leanings toward abnegation. She also was a selfless kind of person and that did not fit it very well at all in the Dauntless group. She also had the, the pull within of being an erudite. She was very wise, very smart, very intelligent. And so with those three characters, characteristics pushing her in all kinds of ways, the movie unravels. And I'll let you turn and look it up on your cable channel and watch the movie. You know, a lot of things in life, while they're not intended to be Christian, can't help but be, have a Christian influence and a Christian message. And that's what I like about them. Because much of life, when seen in the right perspective, that's not Christian at all, turns out to be Christian as we look back on it once we become a Christian. Life presents us with many choices, and we are faced with the opportunities and the challenges of those choices, just as Jesus was in the story we read today. Now, whenever you get to making those kind of choices, you begin to determine who you are from who you understand yourself to be. 
as you make those choices. One of those choices we present our children is when we bring them into confirmation, which they're going through right now. And we ask them, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to follow Jesus? Not because someone else told you to, not because your family is Christian, but are you ready to make a decision for Jesus Christ on your own? As young boys grow up, they're given the opportunity, many of them, to become scouts. Being a scout is more than just going to a program after school or in the evening. Becoming a scout is a mindset. It is meant to affect your person. And indeed, one who achieves the highest goal of scouting, becoming an Eagle Scout, it will form their character if they really enter into it. It will make a difference in the rest of their life. The scout law will be easy. I'm going to come back to the scout law. Y'all fresh on your scout law? Don't forget it, because I'm coming back to you in a minute. I don't want to embarrass you. But y'all know the scout law, right? Sure you do, right? If not, be wise and ask the scout next to you, right? <laughs> We're coming back to that. Now, as we think about this movie, Divergent, you need to understand the word divergent means something. That's why you see all the errors. Just in its own sense and right, it means to turn in different directions. It means to deviate from a course, to differ. A deviation, if you will, from a common center. That's what the word means in its clearest form. In the movie, it means being suited for more than one direction, which can be understood to be to turn away from choosing one of the five and to be the person that you are and you understand yourself to be as opposed to what society tells you to be. Is anybody beginning to see a relationship to Christianity? Being a Christian means you're choosing a faction. You're choosing to follow God. That will set you apart from most of the world. And indeed, in the culture which we live today, it will automatically make you an enemy to some that you have no enmity toward. Because Christianity and its roots is in essence a faith where people follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is the way they believe to God. And in our culture, which wants people to be able to find God in any kind of way they might, we're offensive automatically because we say Jesus is the way. We're divergent if we're truly Christian. The choices we make, the decisions we make, often cause us to go in different directions on the journey toward the cross. It's not a straight line from where you are today to the foot of the cross. And it never has been. It wasn't for Jesus when he was there. Just look at this story we read today. If you go back to another expression other than Luke, you'll find that, that the Spirit showed up when Jesus was baptized. Remember when it's put closer in context in another story? Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends upon him. People hear the voice from heaven and say, this is my son, and my well pleased. And you go, yes, that's a part of the Christian story I like. I'm a beloved son. And we all hear that word when we come into faith in Jesus Christ. You are mine. And then the next thing that happens is they play a big bar mitzvah, confirmation celebration, and they all go out to have apple pie and ice cream, make it on the fire, and ice cream flown in for the future. <laughs> oh no, that's right, they don't do that, do they? Now this text says, when you put all the text together, that then the Spirit, after getting the message, you are my son, and whom I'm well pleased, you are my beloved son, drives him 
or leads him, according to one interpreter, but the others drives him into the wilderness. What? It feels so good being coming up to God and being a beloved son. Now I'm out here in the middle of the wilderness. I have nothing to eat or drink, and I'm going to be here a long time. There's got to be 40 days. You see, right in the midst of being gloriously close to God, I'm thrown into the valley of temptation against the old devil. Heard a man once say not long ago at a conference event that this was really what most of life was like. Between you live most of your life in between knowing you're a beloved child of God and in the desolation of facing temptation day after day and pain and heartbreak. Because we live in a sinful world. Very little of our time is simply consolation. When we come to worship, it feels so great, right? I mean, everything's good. All the fears are gone. All the problems are getting solved. And we walk out the doors and all of a sudden we go, whoa, what happened? It was so much fun back in the room, right? Back in the room where we were surrounded by people who believed like us. Our faction is together. And when we go out into the world, it's hard sometimes to feel consoled because the devil is just waiting to approach us. Or evil is all around us. You pick your language. It's the same result. That in that atmosphere, we're in the midst of knowing God is with us and in the midst of being tempted, it seems like most of our lives. Just like that little boy. Now, I hope what that story did for the children is make all the adults know this. That every time you're being tempted, you're being offered the opportunity to say, yes, thank you. Or no, thank you. The choice? Well, it just makes all the difference in the world. It's simply the difference between living for God and living for yourself. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how many times do you say, yes, thank you? Or how many times do you diverge and say, no, thank you? Even though the rest of the world would have been 140 days, but it turned that stone into bread, I will not, because my father said, not live on bread alone. How many times do we say, when power is offered to us, we take it? We live in a world and in a culture and in a nation, quite frankly, that loves power. We love it. We watch debates, and the person who is the strongest on TV and crushing the others is seen as a great leader. And a great leader can never survive in the group called abnegation in the movie. There's no selflessness in that. There's only the desire to conquer. And that is not Christian. You say, you know who you're talking about? I hope all of them. And I hope all of you. We are not as followers of Christ about power. We're about love and mercy and grace. We are not out to destroy other people for the betterment of ourselves. That includes where you work and in your job. If you only get ahead by walking on someone else's head, I suggest you find another place to work. That is not the way to get ahead. There's nothing in our faction that corresponds to that in a good way. 
Oh, I know the temptation is real. You get more money, I can take better care of my kids, you know, you know, you know. You know how the story goes, right? Temptation follows us like a wolf. And even after Jesus defeated the devil in all three temptations, it said the devil departed to come again at another more opportune time. The devil only strikes you at the places where the devil understands your weak. Evil finds your weakness and capitalizes on it. And your weakness is probably unlike the weakness of the person sitting next to you. This is not show and tell. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to ask you to name your greatest weakness when you keep falling every time it comes your way. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I am going to ask you to pray about that weakness during the season of Lent. <laughs> so that God in this journey toward the cross might invite you to take a turn. Might invite you to slowly pick another route that is a more gradual turning. Or might invite you to go down on your knees to pray. And that's for God's strength. A church is not unlike its individual members. We too face temptations. We too face temptations to do the thing the way that the norm in our culture says do it. We face the temptation to fall prey to what is popular and what will be seen as good by others. And yet we know deep down inside, inside us that it's seen as bad by our God and bad for us there. But temptation is real, and it's a struggle. And so the reason I wanted to talk about this idea of being diverted <coughs> is I believe in the society in which we live today, the connection for us is that Jesus diverged from the norm. He was born into the Jewish faith and was supposed to come as a Messiah and Savior the way they had planned. But instead, he took a different route. He came down from heaven in his loftiness and became fully human. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm not talking about the resurrected Christ. I'm talking about the historical Jesus was just like you and me, except for one thing. He diverged correctly every time. Something we cannot do every time. And yet we can do it much more than most of us do, can't we? This is what you say. You know, and I know, that you can be better. And you know I can be better if you know me very well. You know that this divergent thing is a lifelong process. It's a journey. And some of it's a struggle. It's a journey as a congregation. We've been taking a journey as a congregation together since I've been here. Some of the journey is consoling to us. It feels good. We're getting, we're getting to be really a happy church in most ways. But some of the days have been rough. Some of them have been challenging. Some for you, some for me. Things happen to us. Things happen to tempt us as congregations. And in fact, I would say if you sum up the life of most congregations, I would say most, most of the time they've all started with the most wholesome, wonderful ideas and objectives in the world. And yet, through passage of time and culture's influence, most churches tend to lose their way along the way. Most Religious societies, Christian societies, tend to lose themselves along the way. You say, what do you mean? Take a little journey back with me. Where did the church spawn and start really growing after, after God of the Far East? In Europe, right? Where are all those great cathedrals now? In Europe, right? I mean, they're everywhere. 
And they're filled to the brim in Europe with worshiping Christians. These 400 and 500 years later, right? No, they're not. Fortunately for us, Christian faith hopped across the ocean and landed in the United States where it diverged again from a class society where they loved classes into a classless society we call America where everybody had equal opportunity. Everybody could make a living. Everybody could have some kids to own land. It was a dream come true for humanity in general, not just for the precious few who were born into the right families. And the church sprung and grew. Oh my goodness. Century after century, things happened. The great revivals of the 18th century, the 19th century, and the 20th century, uh, we began to diverge, but it wasn't diverging toward Jesus. It was diverging toward culture. And many churches today around this country are struggling because they're more like the culture than they are like the church revealed in the scriptures. But God is still ready at any time for any church, any individual, to diverge from the mistakes of the past and to take a different path that takes them toward the cross. God will forgive us. There's a river of grace and mercy and life that's flowing for everyone. Not just anyone, but everyone. God is not a respecter of persons in that sense. Any church that is dying can live again. Any church that is struggling can prosper again, grow again. Any church that is dying can diverge from the pattern of death and return to life. You say, any? Yes. How do you know? Because the first church I had pastor, one of three congregations, where they thought I knew so much, I needed three churches instead of one. Then as you get older today, you realize you don't learn so much, they just give you one because they know that's all you can do. But in the first three churches I got as a student pastor, actually as an appointed pastor, one of the first three congregations had five members. They were all older than my grandparents. Except one guy who played the piano. Every Sunday he was one of the five people. I told you that story before, remember? <laughs> Not forget my life already, are you? Don't forget the life. It's been important to me. <laughs> Twelve months later, we left that church where we only went to church once every other Sunday to lead in worship. They had grown tremendously. Forty percent. They had seven. <laughs> it's better than five. Every church has to take stock of themselves. That's what we're doing when Colleen's Way meets today for the congregational visioning process to begin. An 18-month process where we would devise and share with the congregation where we believe God is calling us as we perfected a vision and our mission to become clear about them. And along that way, we will be asked by the Spirit to diverge from some of the things we've done in the past because they're not working in the present. We'll be asked to take some different directions. We will decide that taking the different directions is God's call for us. And you as a congregation will get the chance to hear and to affirm what that leadership team is working on. Congregational visioning process starts today. For Jesus, it started a long time ago. You're my beloved son. What am I doing in the midst of this desert? My faith is being tested and I'm proving step by step 
just like the girl did in the movie, that she could make decisions and follow them even when they were difficult. It's my prayer that as a congregation and as individual followers of Christ, we will each choose to do that very same thing during this faith season. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these, your children, who are on this journey for Lent. We're worshiping in the Psalms daily, and you're looking forward to being with you each week as we celebrate Easter and its precious memory to us. We ask, O oh Lord, that we be ready when temptation comes so that we will be able to say no thank you and to choose the path that you've called us to follow. We ask, O oh Lord, that we will choose as a church to remain true to what we believe and diverge from the path that leads us away from you. We pray, O oh Lord, that when we feel that we must call down condemnation upon society, that we will remember that you diverged from that path and you spoke of love and mercy and grace and called people into a better way. And we pray, Lord, we would diverge like you. We pray, O oh God, that we might in some small way, in some small times, be counted worthy to bear the name Christian because we have chosen to follow the God who saved us. And we have learned and proclaimed that faithfulness and obedience are the hallmarks of good living. May it be true for all of us, Lord, as we look at our path roads and as we decide where to turn and who to follow and what to do. There's someone here in this congregation this morning, Lord, who needs to turn in a different direction from the way they're walking. We hope you'll test their hearts and we hope that they will respond and come forward and tell us that they are looking for a Savior that they do not know so that we can point them to you. If there's someone, Lord, who's here this morning and is a follower of you but really has been trying to follow the long road of being the Christian long wolf out on their own, we pray that today they'll know that there is power in the faction of the family called faith. We invite anyone who needs to come, Lord, including those who just want to come and pray the chance or whatever. To seek their path, to be watching for the turns as we make this journey together. In Christ's name, we pray for all these things. Amen. Let's stand while we're seeking.